So just because I had this question last week from some second graders, Mr. Justin, I don't live in Champaign-Urbana. It's like, so where do you live? Muhammad. Well, I guess we don't really love, I'm just kidding. We love where you live. Love where you live because God loves where you live. Last week, Pastor Randy started us. Oh, I should probably say, I'm Justin. I'm I'm Justin Craig, a family minister here at Windsor Road. Um, Last week, our senior pastor, Randy, started our series, and he challenged us with his final question. He said, what will make people in your neighborhood be glad you are there? It's just been marinating with me all week. We try and get to know our neighbors in our apartment complexes and things. This week, we're going to talk about not just our city, but, but maybe a little bit more personal. We're going to talk about our hearts this week. Now, I was about six years old, and my parents uh, took me on a road trip to Beloit, Wisconsin. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast, I put air quotes around the road trip portion of that. Uh, we lived in Rockford, so Beloit was not a far drive, but we, for whatever reason, decided to go to the mall up there instead of visiting the one that's much closer to our home. And uh, we, we ended up in a department store, whether it was a JCPenney's or a Sears, I can't remember. I called mom, she didn't remember this week either. And, uh, and, and we were in the store, and my job was to hang on to the side of the cart. Seems pretty easy, right? Don't need to write that down, I got it, okay? I'm six, so I'm a little big to be hanging out in the cart, and I'm too small to be running through the store, so I have to hang on to the cart. We're walking through, and I am bored to tears. I just, when are we gonna go? I'm hungry. I think I'm gonna get sick. You know, trying to make up every excuse that a child could to get you out of a store, all right? Now, we weren't visiting the KB Toys in the mall. We weren't buying Justin any clothes, so I'm just along for the road trip again, and Dad says to Mom, he says, you know what, Karen, let's, let's buy you a new dress. It's been a long time since you've gotten a dress. Now, fellas, Sears may not be the place to start for the new dress, but, you know, nothing wrong with it, but it's like, I'm going to buy it alongside of a brand new lawnmower. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't really add up. So, but, but we are there. Now I am now looking through women's clothes, and I'm like, well, this didn't get any better at all. Okay, now I'm holding on to the side of the car, and I decided I was going to play a game. Okay, now most kids would count the ceiling tiles, but some of their ceiling tiles were missing, so I didn't feel like that was a fair count. And, uh, you know, in here I might count the planks of wood in a section of the ceiling, so if I start to bore you, I would like to know how many are in that section, okay? And so I decide I'm going to play this game while I'm holding on to the side of the car, and I'm going to play a game called I'm going to go hide somewhere and we'll see if you can find me game, okay? Maybe you've heard of it before. It's not hide and seek, it's hide and freak out. Okay, so I let go of the cart, feel this incredible momentum of freedom. Okay, mom and dad are looking at dresses and whatever, and, and I, well, I see this, this circular clothing apparatus that's got clothes that line all around it, and I'm like, ooh, what's that? So I go up to it, and I, you know, the hangers make that awful noise, but I thought that was pretty good. Nobody, no clap for that. That was good. Okay. Hey, there we go. We had a clap. Thanks. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate that. Okay. And I see that there is this magical Narnia world that exists in the middle of Sears. And so, well, yeah, I'm going to climb in. So I climb in and the hangers back and I am invisible at this point. Okay. I am gone. There's no finding me. In fact, if you had thrown a suit over the top of it, it would have been the world's best fort. Okay. And so now I am in the middle of it. And all of a sudden I hear my mom say, 
Dan, is, is Justin with you? He goes, no, Karen, you were watching him. You're by the cart. He's supposed to be hanging on to the cart. Well, he's not there anymore. Are you sure he's not with you? And yes, I'm pretty sure he's not there with me. And so now they're starting to look for me. He's like, I'll find him. Justin, Justin Ross. And I'm like, you got a middle name me in, in Beloit? But Wisconsin doesn't know my middle name yet. It's like Justin Ross. And finally, this sales associate comes over to him. And, and she's like, sir, uh, what's wrong? And he goes, well, I can't find my son. You know, he's six. He's about yay big. Um, you know, big ears, buck teeth, wearing an orange turtleneck with like a red shirt, you know, because my parents didn't love me. And uh, got the blonde comb over that's looking really awesome. And, you know, and so they're describing him to me. And they're like, okay, what's his name? Justin. Okay, we'll find him. Nancy, Phyllis, Let's, we've got a lost boy, and I'm sitting in the clothes, just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's like when something funny happens in church, but you're not supposed to laugh at that part, and like, you got to hold it in, but you end up crying, and you just feel like you're going to burst. You guys all know what I'm talking about here. This is wonderful, okay? And so, so I'm sitting in the middle of the clothes, just giggling as much as I can, because I think this is hilarious. This is great. I'm like, I'm going to get them so good. This will be wonderful. And so they're looking for me. The search party's out, you know, flashlights, pitchforks, things on fire, looking for me, you know, trying to find me. And I, like, I, I see people walking by, like I'm sitting crisscross applesauce on the ground, and I just see people walking by and I say, <laughs> just waving at people. And finally, they are about to call, like, page over the intercom of the store. Okay, like, we've got a missing child, and he's weird looking answers to the name of Justin or hey kid move okay and so so they're about to make this big announcement over the intercom my mom is you can hear her upsetness in her voice and definitely tears are flowing at this point because my mom is just emotional Okay, and well, who wouldn't be when you're lost in a store in Beloit? Okay, and so they're about to page me, and I see these shoes come up, and I'm like, oh no, I'm found. And the lady goes, opens up, she goes, are you Justin? And I go, you win, you found me, that's great, good job. Okay, now you go hide, I'll see you in a couple minutes, okay? One, no, she's like, no, hey, hey, I found him, he's over here, and my parents come you know, moving along. I've never known my parents to be runners, okay? So they they come moving along over. Mom is just, you know, purse is, you know, flying in the wind, and she comes over and wraps me up, and they're so excited to see me, and I'm like, I got you guys good, and dad goes, you wait till we get in the car. You're going to get it good, and I'm like, oh, forgot about that part. (laughs) That's no good. So we get in the car, and I get this long explanation of why that's not okay, like, you know, the question, like, you know, that I would probably ask my kids, like, do you know what would have happened to you if somebody had taken you? No, but it would have been a lot more fun than this was, you know? It's like, you can't say that. You just, you can't say that. Dad just kept asking the question over and over again, why? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? What could you possibly be thinking? Why did you do that? And I wanted to just reply and go, because it would have been, a, it was a lot more fun than just standing next to the cart. You know, did you think that'd be funny? Well, yeah, kind of, but I didn't say that because dads have like this orangutan arm action in the car that they can swat you. Like even if you're in a minivan, it's like go, go gadget arm and like just hit you in the face or something, throw something at you. You know, it's just, it's, I'm just scared. And so we got home and I knew the punishment was going to fit the crime and that dad's handprint was going to be permanently placed in some different spot. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go outside for quite a while. 
Wasn't going to be able to see my friends for a while, which was fine because I didn't have many friends growing up anyway. And I'm still not allowed to have ice cream. So, um, you know, if, if you want to meet somewhere, it can't be marble slab because I'm not allowed to have ice cream anymore. But that, that question of why, why would you hide? Why would you run away? Why would you go to some place and, and leave this? We've got a good thing going on here. Why would you do that? I couldn't come up with a good reason then, but, but now I think we're all ingrained a little bit to once in a while rebel. To go against the grain, to, to find our own path. You know, there's, there's a part of you when you're hiking at Lake of the Woods in Muhammad that you just want to run across the prairie grass that's all not mowed. And it's like, I just want to make my own path. Nobody's done that yet. I want to do something different. I want to, I want to go against the grain. You see, there is a desire in everyone for the opportunity to rebel. But I'm suggesting this morning that the more dangerous opportunity is the one of self-promoting perfection. As we continue to look at our I Heart See You series, this week we're going to talk about our hearts. If you guys have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be talking through the parable of the, the lost son this morning. Now, as you guys are getting there, I want to talk to you a little bit about the audience that Jesus has. He's got different ends of the spectrum here. He's got, we'll call this side over here, we'll call you guys the tax collectors and the sinners, okay? So he's got tax collectors and sinners that are there interested in what he is saying. But then on the other side of the crowd, he has the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are not interested in what he's saying. They're just interested in trying to find ways that they can trip up Jesus in his words, so he's got two ends of the spectrum here. And here's a little spoiler alert. Okay, so for you all that are the, the sinners and the tax collectors, you are the younger son in our story this morning. You are the one that has, that has taken, taken the gifts of God and gone away to a distant land and squandered them. And now you are returning back to sit at his feet and learn once more. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we've not forgot about you. You all are the older son in the story. You're the older son that believes that if you stay and do the right thing and do everything by the book, that you are able to justify yourself into the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus, Jesus is pleading not so much with the immoral outsiders as he is with the moral insiders. The parable of the lost son. Let's read in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now the first interaction we have in our scripture this morning is that of the younger son and the father. The younger son approaches the father and says, I don't care about your relationship with me. I just care about the stuff that I get out of this relationship. I care about what's going to happen to all that stuff when you die. I, I, in fact, I want it now. And it was customary for, for, the, for the older son to get twice as much inheritance as the younger son. So the older son would have gotten two-thirds of the property, and the younger son would have gotten one-third of it. And so the father just does the unthinkable. He says, yeah, here you go. Now, I can see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law just sitting back there going, yeah, right, Jesus, that would never happen. Because it was such a far-fetched idea. These are the guys that are sitting in the back of the Star Wars movie going, that would never happen. And it's like, be quiet. I'm here to listen to the story. 
It was such a far-fetched idea that, that the son would even ask for his inheritance early, but it was even farther-fetched that, that the father would agree and say, yes, here you go, take it. Let's continue in verse 14. After the younger son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The second interaction in our story this morning is that of the father and the younger son. The younger son comes home. He's he's got this plan to plead to the father, make me a hired hand at your farm so that I can work to maybe pay off some of this debt that I owe you. But before he can utter those words, the father says, quick, bring me my best robe. Because the best robe would be his. Bring me a ring to put on his finger and sandals to put on his feet. Let's bring the fattened calf and let's celebrate because the son of mine is found. So we finish our scripture in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This third interaction between the older son and the father. See, the older son had been out in the field all day. He was doing his job. He was consistent, dependable, Faithful, he showed up every day. He solved problems. He handled challenges. He took care of business. That night, he was heading home after another hot day on the job. He nears the mansion and hears the music. Asked the servant, what's going on? He said, your brother's come back home and your dad's throwing a big party. We're here to celebrate. This news ambushes the son. 
He's kind of frozen in anger. And in verse 28, he says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His refusal meant that someone had to go tell the father, which means that there were guests in his house when they had to tell the father, which meant that there was an awkward moment where everybody started to learn why the father had to leave his party to go tend to his oldest son. You see, it was customary back then for the oldest son to be the chief host of the party, the servant of the party. It was, it was customary for him to take off his shoes as guests were arriving So it would be symbolically saying, I am here to serve you. But the older son refuses to go in. To say that it was an insult is the least. Lashes out at his father. You see, there is a desire in everyone for the opportunity to rebel. But the more dangerous opportunity is found in self-promoting perfection. Both of the sons start from the field Both expect to be paid for their services rendered. Both insult the father. Both try to manipulate that father in order to serve their own interests. Each wants money from the estate for their own pleasure. Each tries to find primary community outside of the family and the father. Both brothers receive costly and unexpected love. And both are equally welcomed at the banquet. You see, the younger son chases the idol of a distant culture. But the older son, he chases and feeds the idol inside himself. I'd like to call this the older son syndrome. There's two major symptoms as we look in depth at the older son here. The first symptom is a relationship of resentment towards the father. Max Lucado Writes, he says, resentment is when you let your hurt become your hate. Resentment is when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. Resentment is when you poke, stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a fury growling grudge. This resentment is fueled by the delusion that we are more worthy than others are. See, we might say something like, well, we didn't go off to the distant country. We stayed. We didn't bail when life got tough. We didn't disappoint mom and dad. We grew up in the church. We went to youth group. We went to Bible college. We married a Christian. It's the delusion that starts us thinking, I've done well. God has done well. God owes me. This delusion transfers into thinking that God ought to bless us and help us because we have worked so hard to obey him and be good people. Well, then Jesus may be our helper. He may be our example. He even may be our inspiration, but he is not our savior at that point. We serve as our own savior then. See, Jesus becomes our helper, not our hero. Jesus becomes our example, not our exemption. Jesus becomes our inspiration, but not our transformation. When we suffer from this older son syndrome, underneath the seeming unselfishness as we portray obedience to God, we actually live with great self-centeredness. The older son was desperate for the things of the father, not for the presence of the father. He was not there for the Father's glory, 
but only the glory that he could pull out of the Father for himself. We become our own self-centered kings. We have our own self-centered kingdoms. Timothy Keller writes that there are two ways to become your own king. His his book on the prodigal God is an in-depth look at this specific parable. He says there's two ways to become your own king. Number one is to break all the moral laws and set your own course. Two would be to keep all the moral laws and be very, very good. Resentment is fueled by the delusion that we are more worthy than others are. So the relationship of resentment, symptom one. Symptom two is a misinterpreted identity. You see, misinterpreted identity is found in the delusion of personal pride. The older son believes the lie that the younger son is the only prodigal in the story. When in fact, he's a prodigal as well. He's a prodigal of the heart. In chapter 15, verses 29 and 30, he lashes out at the father. Tries to puff up his chest. He says, look. Doesn't address him as sir, master, father, not even bro. He says, look. All of these years, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I love this. As, as, as I was looking through um, Pastor Randy's notes on, on, on this scripture, he said it's almost like the older son is asking for a TV dinner rather than coupons to go to Outback. Okay? He's like he's asking for a younger goat when there's this gigantic feast going on. He continues and says, but when this son of yours, not my brother, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. First of all, can you imagine if the younger brother is overhearing this? Can you imagine what that would have done to their relationship? Permanent damage would have been done. As he says all of the worst things about his brother. What would he think of his brother's heart? How would his words, his classism, and his emotions affect his relationship with his brother? The second thing I love about this this lashing out is that he makes things up. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe you did that well as a child, but it was making up things. Well, I didn't break the window like Timmy did. You know, I just, I just kicked the neighbor's cat. So, you know, I, you know, I'm just trying to make myself feel a bit better. I'm going to tell you all about the terrible things he's done. But he's making this thing, these things up. Did you, did you see that here? He says, but when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he doesn't know that. He didn't even know the party was happening. How would he know that? He's not had an interaction with his brother as he's been coming home. He didn't know he was home. He didn't know the party was happening. There's no way he would have known about squandering property with prostitutes. He's making himself feel better. He's saying, Dad, remember me? I'm the one who didn't leave. I'm the good one. trying to make himself look better in the eye of the father you see the older son was right he didn't leave 
The older son had not broken the law, but he has broken the relationship with the source of the law. The older son's deep complaint is found in his heart where he feels he's never received what he was due. See, he feels, when I say he, I mean we, we feel that our obedience demands recognition, restitution, and reimbursement. What's in it for me? God, you asked me to do these extravagant things. What's in it for me? The older brother is just, just yelling these things. We know later on in the New Testament, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, it's a very famous passage of Scripture. Paul says in chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, he says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I don't understand Bible translators and where they put the commas and things like that. I'm not smart enough to understand that process. But I do think that if they had moved the comma a few, a few words before this, you see, because we all know the, the verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a very common phrase in church language. But when you add the words before that, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It makes it a little more personal to me. Paul continues as he says in chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't earn anything. We earn death. The one thing we do earn is the thing that we, we, we can't have. Misinterpreted identity is found in the delusion of personal pride. Jeff Henderson is a campus pastor for North Point Community Church in Gwinnett, Georgia. He works alongside of Andy Stanley, a well-known speaker and author. He spoke at our family ministry conference this last year called Orange. Uh, he was speaking on the volunteerism idea. And so if you work with volunteers, or maybe you are a volunteer, let's just keep this in mind. But he said, you are only as good as your worst volunteer. <laughs> and all four of us kind of leaned forward like, we're all trying to think of who our worst volunteer is, and now all of you are trying to think if you are the worst volunteer in the area where you volunteer, whether that's here or someplace else. But I love that. You are only as good as your worst volunteer. This morning, I'd like for us to look through it through our lens this morning and say that we're only as good as the worst portion of our heart. That portion of judgment, pride, holiness, knowledge, contentment, sin, we are only as good as the worst portion of our heart. But the problem with this is, is that we portion out our hearts. We keep some back. We say, Jesus, you can have all of this, but I'm going to hang on to this. Maybe for you that's finances. Maybe for you that is the deep sin in your life. Maybe for you that is, that is resentment. Maybe for you that's a grudge. But for whatever reason, we portion out our hearts. When Jesus says he wants all of us, he's not kidding he wants every single piece of us, the good and the bad. See, when we finally give it all over to Jesus, we are only as good as he is. The Father owes us nothing because he's already given us everything in Jesus.
Jesus is our everything. He is our everything in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He is everything we could ever want and everything that we could never fulfill. I watched this come true at, um, I did this first service too. I watched this come true uh, this last week. We had a funeral here at the church. Um, Kendra Spanglow Lindsay passed away at, at a family picnic. She was two years old and she drowned. She was three weeks younger than my, my middle child, Violet. And I watched as this, this funeral service started to play out. She's the niece of Valina Claiborne, our outreach director here at the church. And Valina had, had asked me if I'd do the service. As I tried to gather myself and say yes, I had no idea what I was doing because it's my first funeral. So I call my dad. My dad's been in ministry for almost 40 years. He works at a funeral home, and I am weeping to him over the phone, saying, Dad, you have to tell me what to say because I don't know. I don't know what to say. Help me. Give me something that I can say to comfort a family who has lost a child. And he says, you got to give him Jesus. He said, nothing else matters that day but the name of Jesus. And I watched. We had an open mic set up right over here for people that had come to the funeral to come and share their condolences and comfort with the family. And I watched after person after person comes up and shares Jesus with the family. Because Jesus is everything. He's everything. He meets us in our highest of highs and our lowest of lows. He lifts us up when we are high and he comforts us when we are low. He gives us everything through Jesus. You see, this banquet that the Father is throwing, it's not for the Son, it's for the Father. We see evidence of that all through, all through the, the beginning portions of chapter 15. When Jesus is telling two other parables, chapter 15, verse 6 the, farmer, or the, 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 the shepherd says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Chapter 15, verse 9, rejoice with me for I have found my lost coin. And it's the same situation here. The father is inviting guests in to rejoice with him because his son has returned. Verse 32 says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, there is a condition worse than death. And it's to be lost. There is a condition better than life and it is to be found. Our misinterpreted identity is found in the delusion of personal pride. To live in this relationship of resentment and the delusion of personal pride, we walk further from God and rely on ourselves for justification and purification. We become our own king. We become our own hero. We become our own savior. The gospel says and is clear that all are wrong. All are lost. 
and all are loved. And so I ask you this morning, who are you in the parable? Maybe you're the, you're the younger son and you are coming back to sit at the feet of Jesus. Whether you are returning or you are coming for the first time, you're coming to learn from our Savior. Or maybe, maybe you're like me. You're like the older son who feels this great sense of entitlement, a justification for myself. I feel like we can do it on our own, that God owes us one. Are we desperate for the things of God or are we desperate to be in the presence of God? Do our neighbors, does our city know we are Christians by the way that we love and care for others? Or do they know we are Christians by the way that we judge them? There's a quote that I want to end with this morning. And I can't tell you his name because he's a German Protestant theologian and I can't say it without spitting on half of the people here. It's like Helmut and I can't even pretend to say his last name. There's consonants in places you don't think they should be. And I'm sure if, th- this was also something from Randy's notes. So I'm sure if he was here because he's, you know, a hundred times more smarter than I am, uh, he would be able to say it perfectly, and so maybe we'll post it later on in Facebook this week. But he says this, and I, this has been just kind of marinating with me and resonating with me all week. He says, there is a terrible curse that hangs over the know-it-all who does nothing. 